So this episode of the podcast is a recording of a conversation we had with a guy called Tad Hargrave, the founder of Marketing for Hippies. And during this conversation, he shares his thoughts on how to market well so that sales become effortless. And we talk about purpose, problems, premise and promise. Lawrence and I really love this conversation. I, th- I think we both had a bit of a man crush on Tad. He speaks so eloquently, so engagingly, and so entertainingly about this idea of marketing ourselves and how many of us, particularly in the Happy Startup School community, beat ourselves over the head with this criticism of not being good at marketing when in fact actually we're not supposed to be and the thing that we need to do is reframe this idea of marketing of rather than selling ourselves helping others to sell us because that's the thing that we're very good at as human beings we're very good at recommending other people and talking about how good other people are so for our own self-promotion rather than doing it ourselves we should help other people talk about us and I, I love that reframe I think it, it still talks to the idea of without getting the word out about our work then we won't get customers we won't be able to make the impact we need to do, make and so we need to be intentional about getting the word out but we don't have to do it ourselves so listen to this episode if you do struggle with marketing if you find find it difficult to find an authentic way of doing it and you want to hear sort of different tips and different thoughts about how to shift and change and reframe the way you think about marketing and actual things that you can do as well so very actionable very inspirational and very entertaining Tad Hargrave's conversation about marketing is is a great one and it's one of my favourite episodes of the podcast. So enjoy. Of course, anything I say is uh, questionable because our own, our own sets of our own history were probably not the most accurate people to give any sense of our own story and how we, how we got where we are. There's probably a lot of other people you could ask who give you a, a different version. Uh, but as I remember it, I did some work with a leadership franchise. When I was 18, I should probably 17, maybe even 16, I was volunteering and I ended up working there doing sales. And I learned a lot of the Tony Robbins, Tom Hopkins, Ziggler, Brian Tracy, a lot of the classic, uh, what I would consider fairly high pressure approaches to sales. And I really, uh, I took it on. I tried it. You know, I listened to all the, uh, the audios. I, I read the workbooks and I tried to apply it all in the calls. I was mostly doing cold calling at the time or some warm calls, follow ups from people who've been to bigger seminars and it just didn't work and it felt terrible. And I, it also, I think made me more, less authentic. As a person, it started to permeate other areas of my life. And so then I I abandoned that entirely. Well, the, the franchise, I was a part of it, collapsed. And so then I uh, ended up moving on to more activist-related things. 
But I had all these friends who were trying to start a green business, some local holistic business. And I knew enough from the marketing. It, you know, it's not that everything I learned was terrible at all. There was a lot of uh, useful stuff that I still share. And even back then when I was 18, 19, you know, I could see the struggles they were having at my friends. And over the years, more and more conversations would happen. Uh, you know, realizing people can be very good at what they do, but very bad at marketing what they do. So I began to help them. And eventually that turned into this business that's become marketing for hippies. When I first heard about your work, and this was through Lana Yelenyev, who's a, one of our coaches on our, on our 2020 vision program, just the, the, the fact it was for hippies got, got me interested because there was this real, well, when I think of hippies, I think of love. And I think of just the something just out of the normal when it comes to business. It wasn't just business as usual. So that was really interesting. And then talking more to you and learning more about your work, there seemed to be this really interesting approach of reframing some beliefs around marketing, which I yeah. thought was actually sometimes better than the actual thinking about tactics. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, it, maybe if we could actually start with a bit of a reframe. In the very beginning, you said, um, you know, maybe I can help them be fantastic marketers. And so maybe let me just open with this. Um, this wondering, what if you're supposed to be terrible at marketing yourself? What if that's the truth? I see so many people so stressed out in their marketing so many people come to workshops and you can hear it if you dig a little bit. The underlying belief is it's not just that I'm terrible at marketing. It's this thought, but I shouldn't be. I should be better at marketing. And I want to put out to you that you're actually supposed to be terrible at marketing yourself. And there's a few reasons for that. Number one, you're too close to your own situation to see it clearly. Literally anyone else in the world has a leg up on you in terms of marketing your business because they, they're not stuck in it. They're not in the day-to-day -day grind, so they can see it from the outside. But number two, I think humans are supposed to be and are by nature fairly shy when we meet strangers. I think that's kind of cooked in, that's hardwired into us when, you know, it's very obvious with children, but I don't think that ever goes away. When we meet strangers, th there's a, a proclivity to kind of pull back a little bit uh, to get to know each other slowly. And that's certainly if you look at any traditional culture, um, when you meet a, a guest, you don't impose too much. You take it very slow uh, in the initial in the initial thing. There's not an attempt to make a big first impression. And in fact, there's an attempt to not make an impression on people, meaning not to press into them, not to make a dent in them. Uh, so early on in the proceedings, I mean, there's some people that seem to have no problem with the shameless self-formation constantly, and they're called uh, psychopaths. <laughs> it's not a normal thing. We're, we just don't, we're not, we're not really good. We're not built for self-promotion, just as a species, I would say. But <clears throat> the thing we're all very good at is at promoting other people. Most of us have a restaurant that's still in business because we're their customer. <laughs> uh, we have, I have a, you know, bookstores that owe me a lot. 
because of the number of people I've told and brought there. So we're really good at promoting other people. If you're at a networking event and you're with a friend, you're going to have a much easier time touting your friend than you will touting yourself. And I would just submit that is normal. That's natural. That's how it should be. So strategically then, on a tactical level, what does this mean? That you're, you're just, it's built in that you're probably terrible at marketing yourself. Number one, it means if you go to a marketing event, a networking event, go with a colleague, you network for them. They would network for you easier on everybody. But also what it means is if we're not supposed to be good at marketing ourselves, then what does marketing become? Marketing becomes much more of a structural architectural consideration. And what is the point of that structure? The point of the structure is to make it easy for your people to promote you. The people who follow you, your clients and customers will have a much easier time promoting you. They'll have no qualms about promoting you. They're really good at promoting you. You are terrible at promoting yourself. Look at your history. Look at your track record. So this idea of you becoming good at marketing yourself, I'll agree with it if it's how to build a lattice work, uh, a kind of a, a system, if you will, that facilitates your people in spreading word about you. But in terms of you getting up in front of a room, this idea that, that we're supposed to be able to do that, get up there and just powerfully compel the audience with how great we are and why they should hire us, is, is a, that's misery making for you, but it's also misery making for the audience. You know, nobody wants to sit through uh, this kind of commercial. This is why we all went to Netflix, because we hate commercials. Firstly, now, all my ambitions to be like Tony Robbins are now just making me feel really icky. Ah, shit, I thought that was the place to be, like, talk and power up through. Yeah, I'm curious about this real kind of, it's nearly a fundamental psychology of human beings you're talking to here. It's like, the, and, and, um... Ex- there's like an acceptance thing. It's like trying not to beat ourselves up. It sounds like well, you're trying to help people not to essentially, yeah, beat ourselves over the head with the fact that we're not good at something, which is stopping us from being good at anything. Yeah, if, you, if you're trying to be good at something, you'll never, you know, it's the whole fish trying to learn how to fly or something. You're just never going to be good at that. You're good at swimming, so do the swimming thing. And for humans, what are we good at? We're so good at praising and appreciating our friends. But we're not good at bragging. And I think that's how it is. And so trying to trying to proceed against the grain of that, uh, I just don't find it works very well. And I find it feels miserable. I would think most of the people who found us over the years, you know, you think you've done something really cool, some bit, cool bit of content you put out there or one of these firesides. And then they go, no, no, so-and-so talked about you guys at a meetup I was at or an event I was at or... Even someone I was chatting to earlier said they went on a date and they, they were talking about us to a friend. Um, and even talking to my wife earlier, she was saying the same, like word of mouth. She's never had a website. She's never promoted herself in the way most people think of promotion. But doing a good job, making people feel good, feeling like the work you do is of a good quality means that people talk about that and want want that in their in their world. So I think the difference here is losing the pressure that we put on ourselves. So like you said, I should be good at this. I'm bad at it. This isn't right. I should be the best person to promote myself. Whereas I think that's 
as we found that's so hard for people and like you said otherwise you, you you're on a different personality trait to most of the people we work with right well and it, you know what's interesting is i remember talking with a dating coach and she or no was he he pointed out he said look a lot of women will go out with you in spite of your game not because of it <laughs> in spite of it they see how desperately hard you're trying and it's sort of endearing. It's sort of annoying, but they're sensitive enough creatures that they can see through all the, you know, attempts you're making and see that you're, you are a good person. And so in spite of this, they go out with you. And I think it's true with a lot of the sales tactics too. People will buy in spite of them, not because of them. It's so, there was a woman who reached out to me. Um, I think she was somewhere in the Philippines as she, um, specialized in social media marketing. And it was so funny to be sitting there, we were on a Zoom call, and she was walking me through all of the things I used to do. You know, and so where do you want to be? And where are you now? And what is that costing you to have to be this way now? And how much is a client worth to you? And so if we could get you one client that would really be worth this. And so you could pay me a percentage of this. And I remember listening to this thing. I used to do all of this. And yet I really, I liked her. I don't know if I've ever worked with her, but I did like her. There's something very sincere in her vibe that was coming through the cracks of these tactics. Hmm. And so, so there's that. And you know what you said uh, about the word of mouth to me, this is very essential to get yeah. is in the three roles of marketing. I would say the three functions that every form of marketing has to play. The first thing it's got to do is it's got to get people's attention. Obviously, they don't notice it. There's no point. Number two, it's got to what I would call filter. It's got to make sure that people who aren't a good fit don't get through to you, don't end up uh, out of respect for yourself and for them. And number three, that it lowers the risk of taking the first step, that it makes it uh, a little sweeter and gentler for them to try you out than paying $2,000, discovering it's not a fit at all. So those three, getting attention, filtering yeah. and the risk are, are so central. But yeah. first step of getting their attention is primarily word of mouth. How do we get people's attention? By word of mouth. If you look, just, if you look at the stats on this, how do people hear about things? It's almost all from word of mouth. It's at least half, often much higher. I think if you dig in, people talk about things. Yeah. And so then we think, aha. And when I show it to people, I say, how do you mark this? Well, mostly word of mouth. But what they mean is I do stuff and I hope people talk about it. So I want to make a distinction between active and passive word of mouth. You know, uh, passive word of mouth is you do stuff and you hope people talk about it. And I'll just submit to everyone the hope is not a strategy. Uh, and then on the other side, you've got this active word of mouth. And that means you do stuff. You you make it easier. And I would just say within word of mouth, there are three rules. One year I read, I don't know, seven books on word of mouth marketing. So this is my extreme Coles notes. Uh, if, you, if you go to uh, YouTube, if you search Tad of a Great Word of Mouth, there is a video. I'm in a kilt speaking in Edinburgh with a longer version of this. But here's the the Ned's version. Three, three keys to word of mouth. And I'll give them in reverse order. So reverse order of importance. Least important, but very important, is that you make it uh, worthwhile for people to spread the word, word, meaning you thank people, basically. You, we want people to spread the word. You track it. 
you ask every client who comes to you, how did you hear about me? Oh, from a friend, who was it? And, you know, it's, you'd be amazed at the difference it makes if you very consistently just send a little thank you. Hey, hey, Jim, thanks so much for sending Jane. She's wonderful. I really enjoyed working with her. Just thanks for thinking of me. I'm deeply grateful. Just that. If you did that every single time, you would be amazed how, how much uh, more encouraged people would be to, to share with you. Number two, this is much more important. So that one is like 1%. This is now 10% or something. And this is that you um, make it easy for people to spread the word. And I can't tell you how many times I see people make it impossible. You say, <laughs> you, what, what's your website? And they say, oh, it's like uh, electronic dash one, two. But the one is like a numeral and two is T-W-O. Uh, three. Uh, and oh, but the three has a hyphen. You know what I'm saying? And you get these URLs and it's just impossible to remember. So that makes it hard for people to spread the word. Or you say, hey, I've got a workshop coming up. Could you tell people about it? Here's a PDF. It's like, the PDF? Oster, my neighbors, or do you want me to? So, you know, it's here, instead it would be, here's a meme. Here's a little image, yeah. uh, fit up in Canva. Here's some uh, text that you can use. I've written it as if it's from you, but edit it if you like. Anything we can do to make it easier to spread the word is going to help. Um, so there's a lot to say there, but that's really important. But then the rest of it, almost all of it is, if you want to make it, um, if you want to make, Word of mouth work. Yeah, you got to make it worthwhile. You got to make it easy, but you also have to make it remarkable, meaning you have to be good at what you do. This is the basis of it. And the challenge is um, most people are honestly mediocre at what they do because most people are trying to do the same thing, regardless of industry. Now, you could be a life coach, you could be a holistic practitioner, you could be a permaculture person, a farmer, a crafter, a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker. What I'm saying is they're all trying to do the same thing. And what's that thing they're doing? Trying to please everybody. Mm. And if you try to please everybody, it means you're spread so thin. There's no capacity to specialize. There's no capacity to have a real niche to get good at it. Then, because everyone who comes to you, you're freestyling. Everyone who comes to you, you're trying to do something brand new versus if you have some people in mind or a type of work in mind that you do, you're just inherently going to be more remarkable at it. There's more chance. There's no chance to be remarkable at being a generalist unless that's what you want to be, in which case, congratulations. You know, if you want to be a generalist, uh, which I'm, I'm not knocking, you know, there there's the corner store in every neighborhood and they're kind of a generalist. And if that's what you want to be, wonderful. I just... You know, if you can find a business model for that, I'm, I'm genuinely not knocking it. I, I would support it. I think we've kind of become insanely specialized. But if you're trying to be on the internet, there's something I, you know, I call this the inverse law of geography. Meaning if you work in a small town, you have to be a generalist. You know, if you're a holistic practitioner, you just got to mm. treat all the conditions. You, if you're the, the, the country doctor, you help everyone seven days. You got to. You can't just specialize in back pain because only one person in your village has back pain. But if you're on the internet, I mean, do you think anyone's going on the internet today and saying, oh my God, a life coach. This is amazing. Where <laughs> coaches I found a life coach on the internet. You know, if you're a yoga teacher in London, England, congratulations. <laughs> you know, 
there are yoga teachers in this town. God, I looked so hard and I couldn't find it. <laughs> God, I came to this party and I met you. Um, yeah, so there's a lot. And so the, the broader the geographic range, the narrower the niche has to be. I was just thinking, Ian Brian, if you are um, in a band, you're also probably a DJ and a plumber <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and the guitarist. Yeah. So that, yeah, <laughs> that's definitely something that happens in Brian. There's two things actually I wanted to maybe dive in a little bit deep, deeper because it might just to give people a bit of a way to navigate that second thing around making making it easy for people to yeah. market yourself. And you gave a couple of examples, or one example of how it's hard and maybe an example of making it easy. You're talking a little bit about Canva. Are there any examples that you've come across generally that, or you come across a lot in terms of, um, particularly, I think we've got a lot of coaches and consultants, people who like essentially their work is is um, quite a, a meaningful interaction with someone. They're not just selling something and going by. They're actually having a relationship. What would you say to them in terms of helping them be make it easier for their people to market them? First of all, I I, I would maybe say it differently than we're trying to build a relationship. I think that does happen, but the primary thing is we're trying to build trust in the initial bit. I think we have that backwards. People think, oh, I need to go golfing with them and go for a pint with them. And then, then we'll build a relationship and trust will come. I don't think that's how trust actually appears. You don't need a relationship to have trust. I'll just say that. And when relationships form, it's wonderful. But you can see how when people put the relationship first, there's an inherent manipulation in it. Like, wait, why are you trying to build a relationship with me? Well, because you're hoping you're going to get a sale. So maybe before we go into even any of this, it's just to take a step back and ask yourself, what is the agenda that we're going for in any of these interactions? No matter what we do, no matter what strategy or tactic is, what's the end goal? When I was younger, very explicitly, this was the goal. Get the sale. How do you know you succeeded? You got the sale. How do you know you failed? You didn't. Mm. And it was that. And that was overt. Um, of course, that was overt in the treaty, but it was covert in the conversations. At no point. Only once in my life did I ever see it happen where somebody just overtly said their agenda was to get the sale. And it was weird. <laughs> uh, but mostly it's not said. Hmm. All these tactics, you know, now you see stealth, hit ninja tactics, you know, hack their mind. They'll never even know they were being sold to. They will. I'm sorry, they will. But... So that's why it feels strange. This is why marketing feels so terrible generally is because there's this hidden agenda to get sale. So what's the agenda that works? It's the agenda to get to the truth. But the truth of what? The truth of is this a fit or not? That's the foundation. So... Everything we're doing has to, I think, come from this orientation of, of getting to the truth. Is this fit? Okay. But the question of how do you make it easier as a coach or consultant to spread the word? There's, there are a number of, at the tactical level, there are a number of things. You could have regular talks that you give, regular free office hours where people can come and meet you, and, you know, get coached by you. There are the discovery sessions that you could offer. You could have blog posts. You could have YouTubes. This is what I call pink spoons. You know, there are four major types. You know, if you go to an ice cream shop, there's a little free sample. But giving your clients free samples that they can pass on, very helpful. Generally, there's four types. There's written things, there's audio, 
there's video, and then there are quizzes and assessments. All of those are things that your people could then pass on that make their life easier. Because in the absence of these, I mean, I remember I, I was uh, looking for a therapist and uh, let me just testify that finding a good therapist is difficult. Uh, but I went to, you know, it was at psychologytoday.com. They have that amazing directory. But when you look at these things, it's the, the profiles. Sometimes there's no photo. The write-ups are terrible. Sometimes there's a photo and a good write-up. But then you go to the website and there's nothing there. And it's a very vulnerable thing to go to. A, mm. But similarly with the coaching or healing. So people want to get to know you at a safe distance before. So anything you can give your clients to pass on in that way is going to be uh, very helpful. But to take a step back further from that. Okay, so what's the point of these things? The point of these things they pass on now in the three rules of marketing, get their attention, filter lower the risk, giving them something to pass on. Well, this gets the attention. Why? Because your client already has the attention of their friend. So that's achieved. So a second role that this thing has to do, this got to filter. And the third thing is lower the risk, which it sort of inherently does if you get this right. But if it just, hey, here's my business card to pass on. Well, you got the attention, but you didn't filter. You didn't necessarily lower the risk. So it might be something like this. Within filtering, there are three three levels of it, I would say. There's three things that have to be established in the mind of the potential client before any anything happens. The first is relevance. Is this relevant to them? Does this solve a problem they have? Does it have a result they want? Is it a product they want? Mm-hmm. So if you're a life coach or a healer, this has to be speaking to something they're going through. And my colleague, Bill Barron, laid it out as, you know, your ideal clients are on island A, they want to be on island B. Island A is where there's a problem, some pain, some symptom. Island B, there's a result they're craving. So your work has to speak to one of those two, unless you're selling the boat that takes them from island A to B. And maybe that's what you're doing is you say, I do this unique modality that very few people do. And people may just come from the modality, if possible, less likely. So is it relevant? Number two, credibility. This pink spoon this sample has to build credibility in some way. And number three, it's got to communicate uh, that there is some value in what you do. But I want to really hone in on the credibility level. So again, we've got attention, we've got filtering, we've got lowering the risk. Within filtering, there's this building of credibility, building of trust. And how do you do that? There's a lot of ways to do you know, build credibility. Of course, there's testimonials and there's, there's uh, all that. But the, the main thing, the, the 800 pound gorilla in the room of this is what I call point of view marketing, meaning this is where you share your perspective. Of course, first you say, Hey, do you have this problem? Do you want this result? That's what gets the attention. You try not to do it in a way that sounds like an infomercial, but then you say, and this is the thing that gets missed out almost always in marketing is you say, here's my opinion on how you get from this island to this island. This is my take on the journey. This is my philosophy, my cosmology, my belief system, my understanding uh, of that way to do it. So, you know, a Jeffrey, Jeff Davies, I think is his name, is a marketing coach. And he uh, has this thing, uh, he called it problem premise prompts, which is probably a good summary, another way to say relevance, credibility, and value. So the first thing is the problem. You've got to speak to that. 
why is this relevant to them? Number two, what's the premise that you're proposing? So you're basically saying, I know you're stuck and you've probably tried to get unstuck for a while and it hasn't worked. Here's my take on why that is. Here's why you're not able to get off Island A. And then the promise, of course, is here's, you know, whatever the next step is, whatever the offer is. Uh, But this point of view thing, consider this. If somebody, you go to a workshop or a Zoom call presentation and you're kind of neutral. Maybe you're leaning forward a bit because it was recommended by somebody you trust. Maybe you're leaning out because somebody dragged you there and you don't really want to be there. But you're usually neutral-ish. And let's say that during that presentation, the person at the front is, uh, they're just killing it. It's so good. It's one of those presentations that kind of blows your mind. You're sitting there at the end thinking, this is the freshest take on, I've never heard anything like this. This makes so much sense. Oh my God, you're having like light bulbs go off, flashbacks of, oh, right, I did that thing or that's why it didn't work. Oh my God. And we've all probably sat through it or read a book like that, you know, where it was just, holy, this is incredible, amazing. So by the end of that presentation, you're leaning in hard. You're like, wow. Now, imagine this. At the end of that presentation, they do a terrible pitch. It's so bad. It's just so, uh, thanks for coming. And uh, if you want to work with me, I think what you want to work with me. <laughs> Disaster. It was nice to come and see you. Like, it's that. And you just, it's kind of a change of gears, the record scratching sound. You're like, what the fuck? But here's what I'm saying. If the rest of the presentation was solid, you might still go up to them and say, do you work with people? I mean, you need to work on your self-esteem. That's evident. But do you? It wasn't clear if you actually do work with But I'd like to because I really like what you had to say. You might fight them through. The, you know what I'm saying? What I said earlier. You might buy in spite of their terrible pitch. But now imagine this. You're saying through the presentation and it's awful. It's just you're leaning out by the end. It's just a, tr- you, you're, you're, the only reason you're there by the end is because you like, you got the pop from a oh, really terrible. I just have to see if it gets any worse. Following. <laughs> oh my God, it's worse. This is great. You know, that's why you're there. But then, but then again, they could move this pitch you've ever seen. I mean, you, you, you stand up and you applaud it, even though you, you think they're terrible and their point of view is awful. You're just like, this is so good. That was so smooth. I, man, that's good. And then you leave without buying. You know, you could admire somebody's smoothness and say, I want nothing to do with them. Yeah. So the point of view is the thing. Can you make a case not for them to work with you, but can you make the case for an approach? You know, if the problem is what's missing in their life, the premise is what's missing in their approach. Can you make a case like, look, Basically, what you're saying is whether or not you work with me, whether or not you hire me by this package, doesn't matter. But I do recommend taking this approach to this issue, whether you work with me or somebody else. That's what we're making the case for. It's great to get existing customers and networks to sell you. You know, that's great. But when you're right at the beginning, yeah, you're kind of having to self-promote because there's no one out there to promote you. So... Right at the beginning, do you have any thoughts or reflections around someone who's just starting trying to yeah. get the word out? Yeah. Okay. So if you're if you're in the beginning, first of all, the very first thing you do is you do the painful, awkward thing and you send the friends and family email. <laughs> if it's right in the beginning, you just send an email to all your friends and family, like <clears throat> being a life coach, 
here's what I'm going to specialize in. I think if you fill anyone, please send them. That's the very first move, of course, you know, because uh, they're a safer crowd. They're, they're, they're not uh, as likely to say, who's this joker? Oh, man, you know, when I do boosted Facebook ads, oh, shit, the comments I get more like marketing for hipsters or, or <laughs> this one photo series where it's like, oh, it's Billy Ray Cyrus meets Parker or something. It's like, wow, <laughs> I'm cold. Uh, anyway, so and yeah, there, there's the fear that we're going to put it out. People are going to make fun of us. And uh, I don't know if you've discovered, but on the internet, people are not always kind. So yeah. So, but that's the first thing we do. Friends and family. That's a safe thing. And that can actually get you started. I mean, that's not bad as a move. But when we look at marketing, there's there's three three levels of marketing. We could say there's a cold level, a warm level, and a hot level. Now, the cold level is the kind of cold approach. This is telemarketing, cold calling. This is going to brand of business events to give out your business cards, which is always hilarious. We you know people walking around giving out their business card at these events. We should just be going around saying, hey, here's my business card. Card, could you throw this out for me? Thank you. So uh, the cold level is that you're you're trying to approach a stranger. That is just hard. That's ten units of effort and one unit of reward. That's not a sustainable approach. It doesn't work. That's what typified my early days. But what I noticed is when people think about marketing and sales, that's all they think of. The warm level is this idea where you say, "Okay, I'm not." going to go directly to the people I'm trying to reach. I'm going to try to find somebody who's connected to them uh, and they will introduce me. So, I mean, this call is an example. Hmm. I'm being introduced to you by these people that are hubs. So that's the mechanism. You find somebody who's a hub. And uh, then the hot level, this is where you yourself have become a hub. Yeah. And now all the hubs kind of know who you are. And at that point, this is the goal. This is the word of mouth. This is where you genuinely don't have to do almost any marketing at all. Unless the marketplace changes dramatically, you can kind of kick back and enjoy the, the word of mouth that you've gotten. So how do you get there? You get there primarily by you stop the cold thing and you really work that warm level. Uh, there's a ebook I've got on this called Hub Marketing, but there's also, if you go to my YouTube, there's, I don't know, 50 60 videos in a playlist called hub marketing about this but that's the that's the way you you build relationships and kind of triangulate it now um of course that initial approach to a hub is a cold approach but it's the same thing we're not going with the attempt to sell them we're going to go see if it's a fit but we have to step even further back and say wait who are we trying to reach and this gets back to the thing that everyone's doing is try to please everybody, but also try to reach everybody. There's no niche. And so I'll, I'll talk to people and say, great, so who are you trying to reach? Well, that, this is the best part, you see, because uh, coaching helps everybody. <laughs> the best part about coaching, it's, uh, you know, you can apply it in so many ways. So you got a relationship problem, you got a financial problem, you got health problems, you got a spiritual problem, whatever it is, bring it. We're going to, we're going to all work in first. <laughs> then, so you say, okay, so you're trying to reach everybody. Yeah. 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 So you're looking for hubs for everybody. That's right. Well, that's great. I've got the hub. It's everywhere. Thank you so much. <laughs> that's that's where that goes is there is no hub for everybody. But let's say as a, as a coach, uh, one of the people who was in a, a mentorship program, which I used to have, but I don't run it anymore. A woman, Larissa Nooner, uh, L-A-R-I-S-A-N-O-O-A-R. 
she was a holistic person. She uh, she did a kind of ancestral healing stuff, but it was kind of generic. Whoever wants to come, it's great. And we were we were working together, and I said, I noticed a piece in her homework, and I said this bit about growing up in a fundamentalist Christian home, like you want to be a witchy healer, but you grew up in a fundamentalist Christian home. I said, was that you? She said, yeah, that was totally my story. Uh, you know, she fully grew up with the fear of burning in hell, but then an interest in being a witchy healer, which you can imagine the emotional conflict. So I said, how would you feel if 80% of your clients were this? And she said, that'd be great. And so she, we said, let's just roll with that. Let's try that out. And she went to her husband. And she said, uh, oh yeah, this is the niche I'm going to focus on. And he said, oh, I could have told you that, which is by the way, it's two things. Number one, that's a good sign. When your friends say, obviously that's your niche. And that's <laughs> where the hell was he for the last 10 years knowing that she was struggling with her niche? Now, all of a sudden, he's like, I could have told you that. Why? <laughs> but that's become her niche. So that you see what I'm saying. What are the hubs for that? Oh, there's plenty of hubs. Where do you find people who are kind of recovering fundamentalist Christians? There's all sorts of networks and places where you can find that specific group of people. People who want to be witchy healers, there are places where you can find those people. It's much easier. So that's the first thing is if you want hubs, yeah, well, who are you trying to reach? And then, you know, when we get very tactical, you say, okay, so I'm going to go to a networking event. So you go to the networking event. But which event do you go to? You don't go to an event where your clients are hanging out. No, 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 no. You go to an event where the hubs are hanging out. So you think, okay, the kind of people who would be hubs for my clients, where would they go? And those are the events you go to. So you see what I'm saying? Then the evening becomes networking, not trying to find clients, which is extremely difficult and unlikely. But you built you know, a connection with the hub. And, they, and here's the thing. So much of trust is just built by relevance alone. You know, you're talking to a hub and they say, yeah, you know, I work with a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of women, they want to be witchy healers, but I don't know. Some of them just have this real resistance. They just can't, you know, they, they kind of sign up for my free stuff and they never take the next step. Well, you know, it's interesting because I work, I found that the reason a lot of that is, is because they have this fundamentalist Christian upbringing and that stops them from doing that. And that's, I help them with that. Oh my God, my people need you. See what I'm saying? Now, in one conversation, it's not that that person becomes a client, that person that hosts her and it introduces her to hundreds or thousands of people who are almost certainly going to be a perfect fit pre-filtered as that middle level. It gets their attention. Why? Because the hub already has their attention and then filters. And it also lowers the risk. Why? Because the hub's endorsing it. There's something you said before about building trust at the distance. Yeah. And so it feels like this, this hub approach is this, well, in my words, it's like trust by proxy. You're, you're gaining trust because of someone they trust, who's yeah. referring them. And then it makes me link back to the whole referrals can really work for people because that's some of the most powerful trust by proxy approaches that people can have, particularly quite work that is sensitive in a sense, or with like quite personal work, it feels like. Yeah, if you want to if you want to try to find people individually and build trust with them individually, that's hard. But if somebody they already trust endorses you, it's easy. Yeah. It it is, and of course, this is um. There's a lot of ethics in this, you know, and consequences to it. Because if you mess this up, you do affect the hub's level of trust with their people 
which is why, you know, when people have been a hub for a while, they get extremely choosy about who they endorse. So there's consequences to them. And, and you've just got to do a really good job if you're, if you're endorsed and being brought in, I think. Mm. Uh, but yes, it's, you know, there are people who, when they say, go check out this band, you don't even think about it. You know, that band will be your next favorite thing. Why? Because every bit of music they've shown you is incredible. Mm. They, they, and they say, oh, check out this movie. You would love it. Or this book. Maybe you'll do it. Maybe you won't. That's a secondary thing. But do you trust that it would be good? You do. Yeah. And there are other people that when they're like, oh, man, I saw this movie. It was so fucking sweet. You would love this movie, man. And you'd say, Shh, let me write down. Let me write down the name of this movie. That was it. Thank you. Let me write that down so that I can make sure I never see it. <laughs> Thank you for your consistent, terrible taste in all things. <laughs> oh, I love that. There's something here around whether it's a kind of trust at a distance or recommendation or referral by a hub about helping with the decision-making process. It's like, mm. you know, when you're talking about finding a therapist or finding someone who can do it, that must be a hard decision to make when you're trying to work out how do I, what criteria do I use? Um, and we've been you know, not any this anything the same level, but we've been trying to look for an accountant. It's like oh, yeah. you talk to, you know, you can see all the websites and in the end they all say the same thing. And so ultimately you go, so who do I know or who can recommend? Because I'm, I'm tired of looking. There's the old adage, people love shopping, but they hate being sold to. Yeah. There's that as a sort of truism. But here's an even more true truism. People hate shopping. And hope now. <laughs> I don't know. You know, some people love, love shopping for certain things and they love the process of shopping. But what I mean is, yeah, if you're looking for a therapist, it grinds you down. Hmm. You, you just, you get to a certain point or an account, I had the same thing, looking for an account and the websites were terrible. They didn't explain the pricing wasn't anywhere. You had to email and then you get the response saying, well, it really depends. And you're just, oh, God. And I got <laughs> one website. Uh, this company was out of Edmonton, though, I think they now branches called Oregon, the accounting. And they, their website was so incredible. I went and it was like a cartoon before images that says, here's what happens for $150 a month. First of all, we send you 12 FedEx envelopes, one for each month. Step two, you put your receipts in the envelope. Step three, you send us the envelope at the end of the month. Step four, it's all done for you. Hmm. For 150, you know, it was so lucid. And I just thought, oh man. And it, it, it turned out for what I was doing was a bit of a higher price, but I can't even tell you how grateful I was for the clarity of it. Hmm. So, um, so there, there is that. So we mostly hate shopping. Yeah, if somebody recommends somebody, it's funny, the account that I'm going for, I called a colleague of mine in Calgary and I said, Tammy, she does financial stuff. I said, who's the accountant you recommend? She said, this guy, Samuel. I said, great. And that was it. Yeah. That was the whole process. You say they're good. I trust you. I'll go with them. So that's the easiest way. But then, of course, you know, let's say you go to a, I'm looking for a therapist and I, I see one. Here's all the troubles that can happen. First of all, there's no photo. Well, this is disconcerting. I'm looking for a therapist. I can't even see a picture of them. And the write-up's kind of vague in general. That's no good. Then there's a photo, but the photo looks miserable. The photo looks, you know, it's them looking just... And it's like, this is the person that's going to help me be more confident. And they look so, you know, I've seen holistic practitioners and a photo of them. It's like, did you just recover from a disease? Like black and white grainy and they look terrible. 
And the, the headline is Radiant Health and Energy. And just like, wow, that's, you need a new photo. But let's just say the photo's great, the write-up's great. And I go to the website, but then there's no info. Here's what I want. If I'm going to go see a therapist or a coach's uh, website. Number one, I want to be really clear who they help. I want a photo of them. I want a bio so I can read about their story. I want to see a video so I can get a vibe of them. And I'd like to see some some articles, just some articles, uh, audio, some video where I can get a sense of their point of view. What is your take on the issue that I'm struggling with? I want to know that because I may read the take and say, I think that's ridiculous. No, thank you for filtering. This is not a fit. You know, let's say you're a, I remember I got a, a, a sales from this guy, Randy Gage. He's a direct marketing guy. And he had, it was a five-day training on marketing. And I'm reading through the sales, which is very good. I guess to a point, he said, it's just, you know, I'm a fundamentalist Christian and there will be worship uh, during this thing. And I just thought, God bless you, Randy Gage. <laughs> you know, thank you for telling me so that I didn't show up because I don't want to do that. That's not a fit for me. But can you imagine this? Somebody who's a fundamentalist Christian who's maybe felt like their religious faith, faith was at, at odds with marketing. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus flipping the money lenders, tables, everything, and uh, and is genuinely torn about it. And they read a sales letter like that, they almost weep. Hmm. What? I can combine my religious faith with marketing? Finally, they say. So it's um, just because it's not a fit for me doesn't mean it's not a beautiful fit for somebody else. So anyways, the, you know, the, the, the more we can communicate our point of view, Name the problem clearly, but then number two, really lay out the premise. Here's how I see it. Here's my hot take on it. This is my opinion on the best way to handle this issue. Uh, the more likely we're going to build trust. So yeah, trust can come from the referral, but it can also come from them then checking you out and saying, I really like their take on it. This makes a lot of sense to me. And then they leave it. Hmm. I was having this conversation with someone this morning who just said, I hate self-promotion. I hate marketing. I'm not that kind of person. I'm an introvert. I don't want to be that guy or that woman. And just that way you told it about just, it's just an exercise in building trust and being on the customer end of that and how when we're trying to buy something, we want to know about people. We want to be curious about their story and their values and their opinions, but we're so shy in sharing it about ourselves. Um, so there's definitely a tension there, it feels, between what we want to see and what we actually put out. Yeah. And it's, you know, the thing I would say also that's particularly relevant to coaches and therapists and healers is there's, um, there's this thought of, I need to be better at selling myself. I've heard this a lot, but let me just take that apart a bit. Selling ourselves. Is that what we're doing? Cause that's the thing. If I were to say, look, uh, uh you know, I'm, I'm going to have a uh, Carlos and Lawrence, get everyone on video and we're going to give everyone 30 seconds to sell themselves. You know, you're not just, you're uh, it's a, a service. So you don't have a physical product. So this would be you. So you've got 30 seconds to sell you to us. Mm-hmm. You understand. And we're not going to do that. Obviously. Okay. Everybody's relieved. <laughs> Everybody relieved. We're here talking about marketing and here I am saying, I'm going to give you a chance to market yourself. Nobody wants to do it. It would be painful to do that for everybody. But I tell you what, it'd be painful to listen to. I don't know who would have the bigger pain in that situation, but there's <laughs> no benefit. So, but if I were to say we're going to take um, 
give everyone 30 seconds or a minute to share kind of who do you want to reach as a target market you're experimenting with? But more importantly, what's your take on it? What's your opinion? Why do people struggle with this issue? We would all find that very fascinating to listen to. And you probably wouldn't feel as nervous about doing it. So this whole framing that what we're doing is selling ourselves is, um, I do think it's a red herring. It misdirects mm-hmm. us. It takes us down the wrong road. You're not trying to market yourself. Now, the truth is your vibe and who you are, of course, that'll be part of the filtering. That'll be part, you know, you might remind somebody of their ex and it's over. I mean, genuinely that happens. It's just like, you look too similar. Is weirding me out. <laughs> I can't do it. So there's all sorts of reasons. They don't like your joke. They don't like your laugh. They, they're like, you know, I don't know, your fashion sense, whatever it is. There's lots of reasons. So the, who we are, our nature, our vibe is a part of it, but that's happening anyways. You don't need to just forget about it. The thing where I don't even see it as selling. We're not selling anything. I don't see marketing as persuading, convincing, cajoling. Um, I see it as share. And what are we sharing? Well, we're sharing ourselves just by showing up. We're sharing our point of view, mostly. We're just sharing our take on it. We're saying, look, take it or leave it. I, I don't know if this is it fit for you, but you come to me, you've asked, why are you struggling with this? Here's the context that I would offer. Mm-hmm. You know, you're driving your car, you hear something under the hood. I took a look under the hood, or, you know, generally when I hear that noise, it's this. A lot of people say it's this, but I think actually it's this instead. You're struggling in relationships. Some people say it's because um, you're not vulnerable. I actually think it's because you're being too vulnerable or whatever the take is. Mm. You give them a refreshing spin on it. And that's what we're doing. But we're not trying to, I'm not trying to convince somebody. I'm just sharing it. And they'll agree or they won't. And what I'm trying to do is to be faithful to the perspective, to be faithful to what I was probably shown by other people. I'm just saying, look, I'm just trying to pass this on. And if this makes sense to you and you resonate with it, well, here's what I have. Here's the, the, the offer. This is the value. This is the, my guidance. This is the, the, the promise. You know, this is the, the pitch. But then see what I'm saying? The shameless plug portion of the workshop becomes very small. The, the intro of like, here's my story, very small. The point of view, that's most of it. The, the pitch at the end, it's so small. The pitch is basically like, look, if you like what I had to say, here's where you get more. And yes, of course, you, you're thoughtful on crafting the offer. You, the risk revert, you're like, here's a guarantee to lower the risk of checking it out. Or, um, I've made it really compelling. Like it's a really, it's a sexy beast of an offer. I mean, yeah, all of that too. Why not? You know, here's what we've done to make it wonderful. This is the kind of thing I wish I'd found when I started. And here's what's included in it. I mean, all of that, but it's not from, I'm not sharing it from the standpoint of trying to convince anyone to buy it. That's just genuinely not there. I'm just saying, if you resonate and you want to work with me, this is what I have. So let me be as clear as I can. But also in that clarity, what I'm sharing is, look, here's what this is and here's what it isn't. Here's how I do it. Here's how I don't do it. Here's who I think it's for. Here's who I think it's not for. And in sharing all of that, I am actively trying to push away people who I think this isn't a fit for Mm. so that they don't buy. Mm. You know, when people, I've seen people do discovery sessions, like just, hey, anyone who wants a discovery session, sign up. And if I were to do them, which I don't, I would say something like, look, here's here's who I work for. Here's who I don't. This is what I do, what I don't, how I do it, how I don't. And if this resonates with you, this is my philosophy on it. You know, um, 
Yeah. And you'd like to talk to see if it's really a fit. Sometimes we have to, you know, ask some more specific questions. I'm happy to do that, but um, don't waste my time. Don't waste your time because this is the filters are already here. So if you already know you wouldn't want to work with me, but this isn't, I'm not just giving out free coaching. Mm. If people want to take the next step, what would you, what would you suggest to them if they wanted to find out more about your work? There's a couple of things. If you just search my name on YouTube, I have a YouTube channel and uh, there's over a thousand videos there and there's different playlists. You'll see there's the temp videos, but there's also playlists. There's stuff on niching, hub marketing, word of mouth, filtering, all of the stuff I've talked about going more in depth. Um, and then if you wait until November 5th, I'll be launching my new website. And uh, if you check it out, then it'll look much better and fancier. And I think, and uh, with recent photos of me with a video that's not 12 years old. But also one of the things you'll get as the opt-in, if you opt-in at that point is a uh, the full footage of my day-long workshop will be included. Plus, a, there's a whole starter kit I'm putting together that I'm, I'm uh, excited about. So it's not up yet, but it will be. So November the 5th, We'll remind people to check out marketingforhippies.com. Thank you for listening to our Happy Entrepreneur podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify and SoundCloud or wherever you found this podcast episode. And if you'd like to learn more about creating a new path for your work and business, a path that feels more meaningful, more purposeful and more aligned to who you really are, then sign up to our newsletter on our website, thehappystartupschool.com, and you'll receive little nuggets of wisdom, stories of experienced entrepreneurs following this more purposeful path, and also a little bit of uh, wittering from myself and Lawrence and other useful bits of information and content to keep you inspired, keep you engaged, and keep you happy. <laughs>